We're going to keep going in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to start at verse 10 and just read to the end of the chapter. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Just let that hang in the air a minute. And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollo or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And this is the word of the Lord. If you're new, uh, if this is your first time with us, basically what we do is we just take books of the Bible and, uh, uh, and, and work our way through them because we believe, as Rachel said, it's God's Word. We, we lead and preach and teach from the Bible. Everything we do is based on the Bible, so we just want to uh, study it as much as possible. And we believe that it's how God primarily speaks to us, so we're, we're listening to what he's saying. Um, we're in part one of a long series through this, this letter of of Paul, the Apostle Paul, to this church in Corinth. Um, and the, the first part of this we're calling the imperfect church because um, as you read this, you'll quickly realize that this church was very imperfect. Um, and we're not supposed to look at that and go, oh yeah, look, they were terrible. We can learn from their lessons. And we should learn from, from their mistakes. But, but what we don't want to do is read that and, and realize that we too are imperfect, right? But the good news is that even though we are imperfect, we have a perfect Jesus who loves us perfectly. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to get stuck into our passage this morning. Father, uh, we want to we want to hear from you this morning. Uh, we want our lives to be changed. We want to have a fuller picture of who you are and what you've done for us. And we want to submit our lives to you in new and fresh ways, in deeper ways. Um, Lord Jesus, be with us, and, and may your Holy Spirit just be, be speaking to us through your words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so... <coughs> The other day, I can't even remember where it was, but me and Haley were driving the car and through Belfast, and I say I noticed a building that I had never seen before, and this happens to me all the time because in Belfast I'll be cycling about, walking about, and I never pay any attention to buildings, right? But 
as soon as I go to a different city, or if I'm on holidays or in a different city, I'm one of these people. I'm just walking around like this. That's how I walk around, right? And we all do that, don't you? You, you don't tend to notice what's around you. Am I the only one? You're like, what are you talking about? No, I think we're all like that. When you go somewhere new, you start paying attention to the buildings. Why is that? I don't know. But when I'm in a different city and I'm looking around uh, at all the different buildings, there's one thing that I always think about. How weird would it be, how terrible would it be if all buildings looked the same? That would be awful, wouldn't it? It'd be terrible. It would just be a bland world. And thankfully, buildings, all buildings don't look the same. Thankfully that, that buildings are designed and created in a way that they kind of show off or display the creativity of the architect, the one who designed the building. He or she puts a wee bit of themselves into the building. And so there's a little bit of their personality comes through. Now, obviously the function of the building determines what it looks like and all that kind of stuff. But, but by and large, it's, it's the creativity of the architect, of the designer that comes through in the building. And, and, and so it is with the church. Uh, the, the church is God's building, right? And, and the church reflects her architect, God. So the way the church is reflects something of God's creativity, reflects who God is and the way that we are put together. Now, I'm not talking about the building, obviously. I hope, I just, maybe I should clarify that. I'm not talking about this building that we're in. Um, because it's not that pretty, really, is it? That would be. But I'm not talking about the church as a building. The church is not a physical building. It never has been. It never will be. The church is us. The church is God's people, right? We're saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then we're gathered to God by His Holy Spirit, and that gathered people is the church. That's why we never talk about, I never want us to really talk about this building as the church, right? We, we, you can call it whatever you want. I used to say Hay Park or the building or whatever. And that might sound pedantic, but there's a lot of truth in that. We want, we want to talk about us as the church. We are the church. We, the people of God, those of us here in Jesus are the church. And this is what Paul is getting at this morning. That the building, that God's building is actually his people. Um, last week he was using the, the metaphor of working in the field and, and sowing seeds and harvesting crops and all that kind of stuff. And, and now he switches from agriculture to architecture, right? And, and I think the reason he does that is because, I don't know if he made a mistake, but he realized, he obviously didn't make a mistake because it's God's word, but um, he realized, hang on a second, I'm in a city here, they're all townies, they have no idea about farming, let's be honest. So I'm going to talk about architecture because this is one of the most beautifully Architect, beautiful architectural cities in the ancient world. So I'll use a metaphor that they might understand better. Like imagine uh, when I started preaching, I used to use, um, I still do from time to time. You, oh, my analogies were always Manchester United and space. That was basically all I had. Um, and then all of you were like, please stop talking about these two things. Um, I, will, I will not stop talking about them. Well, I might after we get beat by Norwich today, but we'll see. Um, but, but anyway, it's important to use, I'm getting lost in a rabbit hole here. Um, it's important to use a, a metaphor that, that strikes with his Aussie audience. And what Paul is driving at uh, is the fact that the community, the church community, the people are God's building. And each member of the church has a role to play, Right? Just like we all have a play, part to play in working in the field, uh, one, one sows a seed, one waters, maybe one pulls the weeds, maybe one puts the scarecrow up, 
but it's God that gives the growth. In the same way, we all have a part to play in this building project that is the church. But not only do we have a part to play in God's building, uh, we as Christians are part of the building itself, right? So here's kind of our our main theme, our, our big idea, if you like, for this morning. It's going to be on the screen, I think. We as Christians are both a part of the building and have a part to play in the building. Let me say that again. We as Christians are both a part of the building and have a part to play in the building. Okay? So each individual Christian is called to work in God's building project and is part of God's building itself. So let me start to unpack what I mean by that. Um, Firstly, what I want us to see from verses 10 and 11 is that what, what we build on matters, right? So in any building project, what we build on matters. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So that sounds familiar, like I I planted the seed and then someone else watered. It's the same idea. I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So you don't have to be an architect or or a builder. Um, I don't know if any of you are architects or builders. Um, you don't have to, it doesn't take a lot to realize that foundations matter, right? The foundation is arguably the most important part of a building because without a foundation, the building will collapse. It falls down. It's that, it's that simple, right? And, and there's actually, um, <coughs> beg your pardon, uh, while I was studying for this, um, I was just online looking at some stuff around foundations and blah, blah, blah. And I found a company that says that in America, they say they build hurricane-proof houses. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty bold claim, right? Uh, and there's all kinds of different designs and blah, blah, blah. But the one thing they all have in common is a foundation. They find a way of successfully attaching uh, the building to the foundations. Because the foundation is the most important part of the building, and this is, what, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, 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 that the most important part of the building of the church is the foundation. And that's the reason that Jesus is the, is the foundation. Because he's the rock that can never be moved. Right? Je- Jesus says this himself in, in, in Matthew 24. He says that, that heaven and earth will pass away. That means that the, the physical world, or the created world, the physical universe, the cosmos is literally what it's talking about, will, will one day no longer exist. But his words will never pass away. Even the prophets in the Old Testament knew that the Messiah that would come, they, looking forward to Jesus, they, they knew that he would be a solid foundation. Isaiah 28, written over 500 years before Jesus was born, says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed, and he who believes in it will not be disturbed. Anyone who believes in Jesus will will never uh, be caused to panic, will never have to be unsure about the future, will never not not have security. Why? Because Jesus is the solid foundation, because he is the eternal rock and he can never be moved. That's what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians. You see, you you can't just build a church on any old foundation, right? In Corinth, they were trying to build their foundations on, on other human beings. So they were saying, well, well I, I'm going to 
I'm going to pledge myself to Paul, and I'm going to build on that foundation. Well, well, actually, I'm going to build my foundation on Apollos, or, or Cephas, who is, who is Peter. And they, they were trying to put their foundations on these other human beings. But the truth is that you just can't start laying down your own foundations and call it a church. Because God has decided what the foundation for the church is, and the foundation is Jesus. Paul says that he didn't, he, he's not the foundation, he just lays the foundation. Jesus is the foundation, and he has laid it down. Now, you notice that he says that he calls himself, well, he likens himself to a master builder, a skilled master builder. And when he's saying he's a master builder, he's not, he's not saying, man, look at all my skills. He actually says, what does he say? According to the grace of God given to me. His skills, any, any skill he has in laying a foundation for planting this church is, is because God has given it to him. Even his skills are a gift. So I kind of thought, well, you're kind of, he's kind of like a, a project manager. So does anyone ever watch Grand Designs? few people, right? I love that show, love that show. And it's funny because there's always, a, there's always a few things that always happen, right? What always happens? They always run out of money. The wife always gets pregnant. They always live in a caravan. Building work gets stopped because of snow. There's always snow. I've never seen it snow so much except in uh, Grand Designs. They always have to stop. They're freezing the caravan. But one of the things you can be sure that happens if, if you know when those people, they're like, he, Kevin's always like, so are you, hire, are you getting a project manager? Like, nah, I'll do it myself. You ever done it before? Nah, it can't be that hard. And they're like, okay. It always goes wrong. Always goes wrong. Well, Paul is saying that he's like the project manager, right? God has appointed Paul as a project manager, and his job is just to bring all the different tradespeople together. The carpenters, the bricklayers, the plumbers, the sparks, the, 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 the roofers, all these different things that, that he's bringing together. Everything you need to build on a building project. Now, here's the thing. The role of the project manager is just to make sure that the building goes up according to the plans. The, build, the project manager doesn't make the plans. The architect makes the plans. And who is the architect of the church? God. The church is God's idea. He made the plans. And our job is just to, our job is just to play our part in following God's plans. And Paul says, Paul sees his role like that. And he says, I just laid the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. Isn't this what he, we saw in chapter two? I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That's the foundation. And that's the foundation of this church. The foundation is, I mean, we don't, I don't have any special ideas or, or new things. Like it's not, if, if you're coming here looking for some kind of new thing, you're not going to find it. What you're going to find is, hopefully, you're going to find us talking an awful lot about Christ and him crucified because that's all we have. He's our firm foundation. He's what we're going to build on. But not only it doesn't matter what we build on, I think Paul's always also showing us what we build with matters, okay? So have a look at verses 12 to 15 with me. Uh, keep the Bible open. We're just going to be dipping in and out of this. We'll work through the passage. Uh, verse 12, uh, Paul says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, okay, so he's still talking about Jesus, the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, keep that word in mind, will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, anyone know what's going on there? Because when I read that the first time, I was like, well, that's quite confusion. So hold on a second, let me explain. I'm just hoping my voice doesn't give up. Some of you hope my voice does give up. <laughs> um, this is a judgment passage. <gasps> judgment. No one wants to talk about judgment, do we? We never want to talk about judgment. Notice in your Bible, if you've got it in front of you or in your app or whatever, the day, the word day, has a capital D. That's not just any day. That is judgment day, okay? That's what Paul is talking about. And we don't like to talk about that. It makes us nervous and worried. And, and I think maybe rightly so. This is talking about when Jesus returns as judge. He's not coming back as servant anymore. He's not coming back to die anymore. He's coming as the ruling and reigning king. And he's coming to judge. Paul's saying that we, we need to make sure that we are building with the right materials because there's coming a day when Jesus comes back and the quality of our work will be tested. Every Christian has their part to play in the building up of the church. We see this in Ephesians. Actually, Paul tells that church in Ephesus, he's like, listen, you've got different leaders in your church with different roles, and their job is to equip you for building up the church. That means that we as the church, we are responsible for building each other up. And one day, Jesus is going to come back and we'll be judged on how well we went about that task. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, hold on a second. I love Jesus. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I thought I escaped judgment. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Well, you're right. Christians, don't, we won't face judgment for our, our sin, our salvation. That's secure in Jesus. Paul, Paul makes that really clear. He says that our work might be burned up in God's judgment, but we'll be saved. That's what he says. We'll be saved by the, by the grace of Jesus. Our salvation cannot be destroyed. Let me, can you just be really clear on that? That's not what he's talking about. But there is a sense in which Jesus, as our master, returns and he will uh, look at the work we've done in building up his church. And your work will either be destroyed or it will endure. You will either receive, uh, it, it, you will either receive a reward or a judgment. Uh, so we need to be really clear about this. And I love you. And so I just want to make this as perfectly clear as possible before we get on to the encouragement news. This church, everyone in this church, village church, will stand before God, the almighty God someday, and give an account on how you built up the church right here, right now. Okay? It's serious. Let me say that again. You will stand before the almighty God someday and give an account for how you built up the church here, now. So what does that mean for us? I think it means that what he says, that we need to, what he, what he says um, back in verse 11, let each one take care how he builds. We need, to, we need to think about, well, what am I building with? What materials am I using? Because it's easy to build on the right foundation with the wrong stuff, Right? But let me ask you, are you building with materials that were last? Because there's, there's two types of materials here that, 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 Paul, that Paul uses, and, and they all have significance going back to the Old Testament. We don't have time to get into it, but if anyone wants a nerdy conversation, I will have that later with you happily. 
He talks about gold and silver and precious, uh, precious stones. These are, this is all to do with instructions and building the temple. And we're going to see later on that the church, that we are the temple, the church is the temple. And those things, those materials are what we call imperishable, right? They can go through fire and survive perfectly well. But look at the other things, wood, hay, and straw. It's just a tender box. A fire, those things are gone. Poof, done. And I don't have time to, to go into what building, what, what all the nuances of what building with the right materials looks like. And I hope that this is a conversation that, that can be ongoing in our missional communities. But let me give you one example. <coughs> one example that will hopefully help uh, sort this out. Because we need to know if we're building with the right materials. Paul is talking very clearly about the work of building up the church. This is a letter written to a community. And in fact, the, 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 the word you that he uses in this passage is always plural. Okay, he's not talking to, it's like us saying use, right? Use, use our God's temple. So how do we know if we're, we're living, uh, how do we know if we're building with the right materials? Well, example is many of us live our lives out of fear. True? I, I make decisions out of fear all the time. And maybe there are ways that you are called to serve the church and build his people up, and you're holding back from doing that out of fear, right? So you say, well, I, I mean, I'm not going to meet that person that's struggling for a coffee because, I mean, I wouldn't know what to say, would I? No, that'd be awful. Or, or no, I won't speak up in our, in our Bible study because, sure, I've got nothing to offer, let me tell you, that's, that's building with fear, and that work will be burned up. Fear is like the hay and the wood and the straw. So what about instead of building with fear, you build with faith? You see where I'm going with this? So you start believing not what you, the lies you tell yourself about yourself, but you start believing what God says about you in his word. So you become instead someone who is always encouraging your brothers and sisters, literally building them up. And you trust that the Holy Spirit dwells in, in, as much in you as in any other uh, Christian. And so you can freely share in the Bible study, knowing that you are an integral brick in the building. That's building with gold and silver and precious stones. That work will not be burned up in God's judgment. And, and the truth is, and I want to move on from this, the truth is that there's no Christian that has ever lived that, that will not have some of their work burned up. No one. Even the Apostle Paul. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Even the Apostle Paul. None of us get it right all the time. I'm worried about the conversation I'm going to have with him in heaven someday now. I'm like, sorry, Paul. Even the Apostle Paul, even the best leader and pastors and teachers and, and all the rest of it, some of our work will all have work that's burned up because we can't get it right all the time. And that's where we rely on the hope that's in there that, 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 that even though our work is burned up, we won't be burned up. We will be saved. So, but, but our motivation is still to build with materials that will last. You get me? So let's keep having that conversation ongoing. And maybe that can be a source of, of discussion. Maybe that can be a source of encouragement. So what we build on matters. What we build with matters. Thirdly then, 
I think the next thing we see is that the purpose of the building matters, right? Look at verses 6. Uh, I'm going to read verses, I'll maybe stop at 17, I don't know. Um, do you not know that you are God's temple? That's verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Yes, I'm going to stop there. Now, every building has a function. Every building has a purpose that it's designed for. So if I need a place to keep my cows in in winter, I'm not going to build a four-story townhouse. That would be absurd. I'm going to build a barn. I'm going to build a shed, right? And God's building project has a specific purpose too. And the specific purpose of God's building project is that God is making a dwelling place for himself. Isn't that incredible? We see, if you go over to Revelation chapter 21, Revelation is, is the book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, and really what we see in that is a vision of the future where God reveals to us what's going to happen at the end of all things. When, when, when all of God's, what we call God's salvation plan or God's redemptive history is, is finally fulfilled, what we see there is, 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 well, I'll just read it. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with mankind, with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God is building a house for himself and he's using us Christians as the bricks. Let me explain. We've already seen that, that we have a part to play in God's building project, but, but it's also clear from this passage that we are part of the building itself. I don't know if you remember this, but way back when we did the, the Psalms of Ascent, uh, one of the Psalms talked about uh, uh, the saints being, being pillars in God's temple. We actually make up the fabric of God's dwelling place. And that's a little bit hard to understand if you don't really know what temple means. I don't have time to unpack it in, in lots of detail. But, but basically, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came and before the Holy Spirit came, God dwelt, the, the presence of God, the glory of God was in one place, in the temple, in the very middle of the temple, the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence was on earth. But now, in order that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord might cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that's the whole goal, that, that God's glory would cover the whole earth. In order to that, he has sent his Holy Spirit so that his whole presence can be over the whole earth. That's where we come into play. The Holy Spirit has come. God's dwelling place on earth is not confined to one physical location. The church is now the dwelling place of God. God resides, God lives, God makes his home in us by his Holy Spirit. Just a little side point. We're tempted to always make this individual, aren't we? We're tempted to, we're tempted to just talk about me and I. Uh, but the, the Bible rarely talks about you and you singular. This is a letter to the church. Paul is writing to the community. We've said that already. And, and, and so what, what Paul is saying here is that the local church anywhere is the dwelling place of God. In other words, when you believe in Jesus, you're gathered by God to his people and you become his dwelling place. And this is how we need to think about our church. Did you know that God is here right now? We are his home. Did you know that? Did you realize that? 
So when we get together on a Sunday morning, we come in bearing that in mind that we're coming to, to meet with God because God is here. We are, uh, uh, Peter describes it in, in one of his letters in 1 Peter 2, he says that we are living stones. We are like living stones being built up into the house of God. He used this imagery of us all coming together. We are all bricks in the walls of the house of God. So when we get together in, in Sunday morning, God is here. When we're gathered together for food in our missional communities, we come with the attitude of knowing that God is there too. Uh, we shouldn't, listen, we shouldn't think of our prayer times as like a chore or something boring or something that only super holy people do or something that you can avoid. We should be excited to come to pray because when we gather together as a church, God's presence is there. And so why would you not want to gather with the church? Because you come to meet God, right? We are God's dwelling place. God is in the church by his spirit. That's why, that's why we don't have, uh, that's why Christians don't have, you know, shrines and, and we don't have lots of, uh, you know, things to, places to go and, and all these holy things to do. We don't need to do that because we collectively are God's church. We collectively are his home. And when we gather, God's spirit is present. So what does that mean for us? It means that the church is sacred. The church is holy, right? It means, let me just read that in verse 17. At the end of verse, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Verse 17. Uh, For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. <laughs> Maybe you don't feel holy, do you? I, I mean, many of us probably don't feel holy. In fact, we probably feel a bit dirty. You know, we probably feel a bit unholy. But you are God's temple, and God's temple is holy. Isn't that incredible? The, the word holy or sacred just means set apart uh, by God, right? We're, we're, we're set apart from the world around us by God. We are not of God. We are of God, sorry. We are of God. We are not of the world. And we're not holy because of the rituals that we do. We're not holy because of the perfect lives we live. We're, I'm certainly not. We're not perfect because of, of anything that we do. We're holy in the sense that we've been set apart by God. And so we have a very different, uh, very different set of moral standards because we are of God. We're not of the world. So this means that you guys, that we, us, we are God's temple in South Belfast, right? And we have the task of living in a way in South Belfast that shows the people around us what God is like. Just as as, as the church in Corinth was, was God's temple in that ancient city at that time, we are God's temple here and now. So, so we are different from the world. Of course we are. Because we, have God, we, are, we are the dwelling place of God. We have a different way of life because we don't want to, the, the word the Bible uses is defile. We don't want to contaminate or tarnish God's dwelling place. The point of the church is that the church should be different from the world. And listen, we're, we're in Belfast and Northern Ireland, we're moving away from, from a time when, when, when Christianity was the normal. That's not the case anymore. And more and more and more, we're going to see that the church is different from the world. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. One of the reasons that the church has become so ineffective in Northern Ireland is because we look too much like the world. 
We don't need to bend over backwards or become more like culture around us. We don't need to try and make Jesus relevant because Jesus is always relevant. We just need to be the church and trust what God says to us. It's that simple. And it's a lot less tiring, believe me. We are the church where God's dwelling place and we're meant to be different from the world. And we're holy not because of anything about us, but because God loves us and because he's generous to us and because of his grace and his mercy, he has chosen to dwell with us and in us. Isn't that incredible? We are holy because he is holy. We are sacred because he is sacred. We are the very dwelling place of God. So let me just stick in one last challenge here to try and apply this to us. Um, I wonder how you came here this morning. I, I don't mean like, how did you get here? I mean, what was your attitude about coming to gather with the church this morning? Because imagine if we really grasped that the church is the dwelling place of God. Imagine if, if we really grasped that when we meet together like this, that we are coming together as the house of God right? How would that change how we think about each other, how we speak to each other, how we speak about each other, how we treat each other? Because according to Paul in this passage, while it's, we have our part to play in the building project, it's totally possible that we can actually work to destroy the temple. Look at verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Now, we know that nothing outside the church can destroy it, but, it, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, Jesus says, I am building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that. But it seems that, it, that, that it's totally possible to damage the church from within. And the issue that Paul is uh, addressing here is this division, building on the foundations of human beings, saying, I like this guy better, I like this guy, well, I like this thing, I like that thing. And this division is actually causing damage to the church. They're actually working against the Holy Spirit while they're arguing and causing division. And look how seriously God takes this. God, God says that if anyone destroys his temple, he will destroy them. And we, that should cause us to, to, to really stop in our tracks and think about that. Anything that we do that is against God's plan for his people Anything we do to cause division? Anything we do to cause disunity? So let me ask you, are there ways in which you're behaving that are causing damage to God's church, to God's dwelling place? This is, we are God's home. For instance, how do you talk about people when they're not around? How do you talk about each other when, when they're not there? Do you gossip? Do you share things about other people that, that you know they wouldn't want others to know? Are you encouraging or, or do you point out their faults? Do you talk negatively about them? Do you intentionally discourage other people? Are you jealous of other people because of, of the things they do or the things they have or the things they say or the way their life is? Is there any strife between, any of, any of you, between you and any of your brothers and sisters? Because these things are harmful to the church. And God says, if anyone destroys my temple, I will destroy them. We need to take our unity seriously. We need to, because we are God's temple and God's temple is holy. That leads me on to our last lesson from this passage today. You're gonna to have to excuse me, I cough. <coughs> excuse me. 
um, our last lesson today, um, we've seen that uh, what we build on matters, what we build with matters, um, and we've seen, uh, I forgot my last one, the purpose of the building matters, of course, we are the temple, um, but also then, our last one, our identity as builders matters, okay? Let's look at verses 21 to 23. Uh, let no one, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. See, we're working on this building project, and we need to build on the right foundation, and we need to be building in the right way so that we're not building in vain. And not only do we have a part to play in God's building project, we are part of the building being constructed. And with all that we saw in these previous verses, why would we ever boast in any human being? Why would we try to cause division by saying, well, this person's better than that person? We are God's temple, and this is why our identity matters. And Paul tells us two things about our identity as God's people. He, he talks about what we have and who we belong to. So Paul's saying, listen, let's put an end to this disunity. By the way, he's been talking about disunity and division in the church for three entire chapters. It's the very first thing he picks up on when he decides to write to this church. It seems like it's the most important issue. It seems like it's maybe the core of everything else that was happening in the church. He says, let's put an end to this disunity. Stop boasting. No more boasting. Why? Because all things are yours and you are Christ's. That's what he's saying. In other words, you belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, all things that are Christ's are also yours. So what does he mean by all, all things, right? What is, what is Paul saying belongs to us? Well, it's a very thing, interesting thing that when you look at the Greek. So you look at the Greek and the word everything in Greek means everything. It's, it's literally just everything. When Paul says, oh, you're saying, well, it can't mean everything is ours. No, but that's what he says. He says, all things. He means all things. And if he didn't mean all things, he would have said some things, because there are no wrong words in the Bible. All things are yours. And you say, well, what do you mean by all things are yours? Well, think about it this way. If you had a million pound in the bank, Imagine, can you imagine that? If you had a million pounds in the bank, how ridiculous would it be for you to keep on living like you had a fiver in the bank? Like you were down to your last few pennies. That would be ridiculous. So why would Christians who have access to all things, who, who all things have been given to us, why would we want to access or our, limit ourselves to some teachers, to some of God's blessings, when everything is ours? All things are ours. All things I want you to hear that. Romans 8 says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And if we're joint heirs, that means we're equal heirs. That means that everything that God has given, all the blessings and all the, all the benefits that God has given to Jesus are now ours because we are in him. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 and said, Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given them. Everything that God gives to Jesus, Jesus gives to us. All the benefits that belong to Christ are now ours because we belong to him. And this isn't the only place in the Bible that talks this way, right? Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good, uh, for, for good to, do, to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, all things are ours and they're all ours for our benefit. 
and for our blessing. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, I have all things. Simple statement. I have all things. Everything is ours. All the teachers are ours. All the world is ours. Life is ours. Death is ours. The present is ours. And the future is ours. Life is yours. You have life. What does this mean? He's talking about eternal life, spiritual life, the knowledge of God, God's life in us, Christ in us. John 17 says that to know God is eternal life. It's God in us. It's, it's God, God's life pulsating in my beating heart. That's why we sing the song. We sang the song this morning. It's your breath in our lungs. And what do we do because of that? We pour out our praise. Listen, you might not feel it this morning, but we are alive. We have life. Jesus gave us his joy, his peace, his love. Life is ours, and the world around us might be dying, but, but we are alive and we'll always be alive. That's why he says death is ours too. Now, that might not sound good because, I mean, who wants death? But that's only because we grow up thinking that death is our master. Like, it's inevitable. Yes, it's inevitable, but the truth is death can't do anything to a Christian. What's it going to do except take us to heaven? That doesn't sound like something to be afraid of, does it? That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, we're going to see this as we get to later on in Corinthians chapter 15. He's going to say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? You know what? You belong to me because I belong to Christ. And the present is ours. All the objects, all the people, all the situations, all the experience, the present is ours. And you're like, well, hang on. What about all the bad stuff? What about all the, the negative experiences? Yes, they're all yours too. That's part of all things working together for your good because you love God. One scholar, a guy called Lenski, he says this. He says, it is, a, it is as if all things in life are a multitude of servants surrounding us on bended knees. They hold out their precious offerings to us. Some of these servants, like pain and injury and sickness and grief, may at first have a strange look to us who do not know our, royal, our royalty sufficiently. It's like those things look like bad things when we don't understand that, 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 that we belong to Jesus. It is God who commissions them all and makes each one bring us some blessing so that, so that as kings unto God we shall lack nothing. Isn't that credible? All the pain and grief and sorrow and joy and happiness and celebration, everything in our present lives work together for our good because we are in Jesus. And finally, what's the last thing he says? He says, the future is ours. And I'm nearly done. Sometimes when we think about the future, it's scary, right? I just had a conversation um, just this past week with, a, with a, an older friend of mine, and he has to get some test results from the doctor on Tuesday. And he's pretty, cer he's pretty certain it's bad news, and he, he's not a Christian, and he's just, he just has no certainty. He's worried, about, he's worried about dying. He's worried about what comes next. And for the most of us, the future is scary. It is uncertain. But here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. If you are in Jesus, you do not belong to the future. The future belongs to you. If you're in Jesus, you don't have to fear the future because the future belongs to you. This is what God has told us in his word this morning. All things, the future belongs to you. So that means that everything that's going to happen from this moment on works to your advantage. 
Someday you're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. Someday you're going to judge angels. That means you're going to actually have dominion over angels. Someday you're going to have a resurrection body like Jesus' glorious resurrection body. You know the one where he was able to walk through walls and just appear places? That's what your body's going to like. Your body is going to not know any decay or, or sickness. Someday you will be, as I said, a pillar in the temple of God. Someday God will be your God and he's going to walk with you like just holding your hand or just walking beside each other like friends, you're going to do that with God? You're going to sit with Jesus. These are all things that the Bible tells us, by the way. You're going to sit with Jesus on his throne. You're going to never sin again. You're going to never be in pain again. You will experience pleasures like you can't even imagine. The future is yours. All things are yours. Do you get that? And all of this is only possible because of one thing. Because we belong to Christ. We don't have time to go into all the details. But here's some of the ways that the New Testament talks about how we belong to Christ. The relationships, that we, and the, the kinds of relationship we have to Jesus. Right? We are Christ's body. We are Christ's bride. We are Christ's sibling. We are Christ's fellow heirs. So if you are a Christian this morning, this is how you belong to Jesus. In the way that a person's own body belongs to them, in the way that a husband belongs to his wife, and the way that a sister belongs to her brother, we are part of Christ. We have this deep, infinite connection that can't ever be undone. Uh, John Calvin, he, he, he actually talks about it in this way. He says it's like we are engrafted onto Christ. We become one with him. This, this connection, that, this joining together that can't ever be undone. And we're going to see in chapter 6 uh, in, in a few weeks that, that, that Jesus has bought us with a great price. That's how we belong to him. He paid for us. He paid for our lives. He loved us so much that he paid for us uh, by dying a criminal's death on a cross so that we could live, so that all things could be ours. He died on a cross so that you could be his. If you're a Christian, you need to hear that this morning. Jesus died on a cross so that you could belong to him. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to hear that. Jesus died on the cross so you could belong to him. Believe it, please. This is how he loves us. This love that, man, that he just willingly laid down his life. So that not, only that, not just so that we could be free from the punishment for our sin, but, but so that we could be joined in relationship to him. And so we could become part of God's family. So why, 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 why would we ever boast in human achievement? Why would I ever say, well, this teacher's better than this teacher? Why would I ever say, well, uh, that, that brother or sister of mine, they're, they're off on that, or, or they, they, you know, I don't like them. I love them less than I love, why would we ever do that? Because, because we have the security that we are in Jesus, and so therefore, everything is ours. Let's, let's build on Jesus as our foundation. Let's work to put our efforts into things that will last. Let's remember that we are the dwelling place of God and let that affect how we think about each other, how we talk about each other, how we love each other. And let's remember that all things are ours because we belong to Christ and Christ is God's. Let me pray.